minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Shine. 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning. Welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. I'm sure plenty of people in this area moving around for the weekend. Heading up here, heading down there, heading across to there, whatever the case may be. Thanks for taking us along, listening on the three radio stations that go north to south. As our flagship station is at 91.1 FM. Then, of course, we have one in the Catskills, and, of course, we have one in the Rockland County area. Those of you who may be out of range, I thank you for listening in through our listen line on your telephone or listening in through the app, the NSN app, which is a recent massive hit out there. You can check it out. Go to uh, on your iPhone and on your Android to your app store and search NSN, Nahum Siegel Network. You'll find it. It's a great way to tune into the program. And, of course, your computer uh, with the multiple website and web addresses that we offer for you to tune in. I want to thank our friends up at Camp Hask. We had a spectacular day there on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. You heard about it yesterday morning during our radio program. I thank our friends at Camp Hask for welcoming us, as they always do, a very special, interesting, and wonderful place to spend some time. And for those lucky enough to be there all summer long, it really is incredible. JM and the AM, good morning. Our thoughts, our hearts, our attention, our eyes and ears are pointed toward the Holy Land as our brothers and sisters continue to be under fire. We will discuss the events of this week in depth about an hour from now when Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. There's a lot to discuss I am sure this audience, the majority of this audience, has been closely following the news. Many of you have the Red Alert Seva Adom app, which we have here and which we uh, continue to notice uh, going off, especially today in the State Road in Ashkelon and Negev area. There are rockets flying into Israel. Our brothers and sisters under this barrage of attack. The Prime Minister has some really hard decisions to make. He's going to have to, uh, he's indicated publicly that he's ready to make those hard decisions. Israelis' lives are uh, completely upside down between Miluim, the National Reserves, um, the, uh, the buildup along Gaza for a possible ground invasion, the movement of people in the south and center of Israel to other areas of the country if they feel the need or the necessity to do so. All of this is happening as we speak. Events, as you can imagine, are being rescheduled and or canceled, affecting uh, in so many different ways, so many different people, companies, etc. It's, uh, it's all part of living and being in the Holy Land. Kolakavod to those who continue to travel to Israel and those who have made commitments to now go and travel to Israel because of the circumstances. It is um, it is such a boost for everybody there, and really for all of us, when the commitment is made to, uh, to go and show support and be there during these uh, more difficult times than usual. So again, kolakavod to everybody who has responded in such a positive way. There are people who are looking for ways to support our brothers and sisters in Israel. 
There are some great organizations and organized efforts that are providing necessities, food, and otherwise to Israeli soldiers. Um, really, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of things happening. We, even from so many thousands of miles away, can play a role and uh, can certainly help out. United States Senators Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, Robert Menendez of New Jersey, Kelly Ayotte of New Hampshire, and Chuck Schumer of New York today introduced a resolution expressing support for the State of Israel as it defends itself against unprovoked attacks from the Hamas terrorist organization. The resolution reaffirms the United States' support for Israel's right to defend its citizens and ensure the survival of the State of Israel. It condemns the unprovoked rocket fire at Israel, calls on Hamas to immediately cease all rocket and other attacks against Israel, and calls on the PA president, Mahmoud Abbas, to dissolve the unity governing arranging arrangement rather with Hamas and condemn the attacks on Israel. Um, I will read, all four senators had statements included in this resolution. I will read the one from New York, United States Senator from New York, Chuck Schumer. Um, at times we've been critical and have questioned uh, Senator Schumer's reaction to episodes in Israel. Uh, we give credit when credit is due, and therefore I read from Senator Schumer's statement. Israel is entitled to take the steps necessary to protect itself from destructive rocket attacks from Hamas that are aimed at all Israeli civilians regardless of their religion. This resolution supports Israel as it protects itself in a manner that values the safety of Palestinian civilians even as its own civilians face indiscriminate attacks from terrorists. It is time for Mahmoud Abbas to do the right thing and break ties with Hamas. So there are people that are reacting. There are people that are uh, taking leadership roles. There is a... um, There is a united effort to do whatever is possible for our brothers and sisters in Israel, and it seems, and, and, and this has happened before. There have been other, uh, wars, other escalations, other, uh, terror threats and, and attacks. And, uh, it seems that, uh, this time around, across the board, people are really out there just looking for ways to help out, to support, to try their best to keep their Israel chips on their schedule and to, um, financially a give to organizations that are uh, out there supporting our soldiers on the front lines and and soldiers in other places as well not necessarily only the front lines we know that there are a lot of uh, very specialized units doing a lot of very different and important things during this time especially those in charge of the iron dome and they all need our support it's jm in the am i thank you for tuning in malcolm honeline in less than an hour we will um I discussed the events of this week and have plenty more uh, coming up. Leviathan had Bowie Vishalom. You heard Shlomo Katz with Yismachu. The medley from Shragi Gestetner is from the brand new Shades of Green Varmkite CD. Nigun Kalbach was done by Shimmy Engel. Pray, a song that um, was introduced to us when Michal Przansky came out with his new album. It was a, a great theme to play during the whole kidnapping episode. 
And now it continues to be a great and important theme because we do continue to pray for our brothers and sisters. Michal Przanski with Pray and Modani Regesh opening things up as usual. It's Friday morning on this 11th of July, the 13th of Tammuz. Candle lighting at 8.10 on this era of Shabbos. 8.10 is candle lighting time. Mazal tov to those who are finishing Meseches Tanis tomorrow in the Daf Yomi one page per day Talmud study. Meseches Megillah begins on Sunday. We wish everybody good luck on the uh, on the brand new Mesechta coming up. A lot of people dedicating this specific Mesechta to memory of the three boys in Israel. Kolakavod. A lot of people, of course, will be utilizing their Siyum gatherings to together uh, pray with their uh, family and friends for uh, everybody, all of our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land who need our assistance of all types, including our spiritual assistance during these difficult times. So a big yashikach to everybody who's using their Torah study uh, to keep in mind uh, those who need our thoughts and prayers during this time. J.M. and the A.M. at 13 minutes before 7 o'clock with Yitzchak Fuchs.
Oh, yes, Shomer Yisrael. Simcha Liner, the rabbi's sons had Shabbos Kodesh. You heard Yitzchak Fuchs with Shiru Shvacha. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Coming up on uh, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Pinchas with candle lighting at 8.10 on this uh, on this Friday. Tuesday, Shavas Rabbatamos, the three weeks begin. The calendar continues to move in our... Our eyes and our hearts are pointed to the Holy Land and uh, with great concern for our brothers and sisters in Israel. Malcolm Holmline will join us. He will uh, discuss the events of this week with us coming up here at JM and the AM as we uh, analyze all the different things that have been happening this week, primarily, of course, the um, the action by the Israeli government in defending the citizens of the State of Israel. It's America's one and, one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Galitza in the background. News from Israel is next. 7.40 for the weekly update. We'll call uh, Rabbi Yudin's Torah portion discussion for 8.15. Officially, of course, we'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock for the week here at JM and the AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next at JM and the AM. Galitzal, Ashaash Time, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, Imasha Korea Shav. 
עוד מטח רקטות אל עבר הדרום. כתבנו רמי שני. איך שזה, אני שמעתי את הפיצוץ, אמרתי זה. תשמע את כתבנו רמי שני. ירי של רקטות בשעה האחרונה אל מערב הנגב ולאזור שמצפון לרצועת עזה. בכל המקרים אין נזקים או נפגעים. רקטות שהוקנו כטסות לכיוון אזורים מאוכלסים יורטו באמצעות מערכת כיפת ברזל. לפני זמן קצר התפוצצה רקטה בתוך יישוב במועצה האזורית מרחבים ואחרת בציר תנועה. כוחות חירום עושים את דרכם לאזורי ההתפוצצויות כדי לאתר את מקומות הנפילה ולבדוק אם יש נפגעים או נזקים. עד כאן. מוקדם יותר התפוצצה רקטה בבית במועצה האזורית אשכול. בני המשפחה תפסו מחסה במרחב המוגן ולא נפגעו. בגלי צה"ל שמענו את רחל שביתה נפגע. איך שזה, אני שמעתי את הפיצוץ, אמרתי, זה היה פה קרוב מאוד. וישבנו, ישבנו, כשהחלטתי שיוצאים, אני פותחת את הדלת, לא רואה כלום. הכל שחור, ומרגישה ריח של עשן, ומישהו צועק, אל תצאי, אל תצאי. היום זה יהיה אנחנו, מחר זה יהיה מישהו אחר. מיד בגלי צה"ל, עדכון קצר עם עומר בן רובי על ההתפתחויות האחרונות. הרמטכ"ל רב-אלוף בני גנץ מבהיר, צה"ל מוכן להמשך הפעולה המבצעית, צריך הנחיה מדינית. צה"ל לא צריך קש שישבור את גב הגמל בשביל לפעמים. צה"ל צריך הנחיה מדינית, עבודה אסטרטגית לבצע את המהלכים. אנחנו עושים עבודה צפופה וטובה. כשתתקבל החלטה, זה יהיה המעשה. בתוך כך גורמים מדיניים מבהירים, תיווך בינינו לחמאס לא נמצא כרגע על הפרק. כתבתנו אילאיל שחר. ההצעות המדיניות לתיווך להפסקת אש בעיתוי הנוכחי לא רלוונטיות כי חמאס ממשיך בירי. כך אומרים גורמים מדיניים. לדבריהם הדרך היחידה כרגע היא להילחם בחמאס צבאית. לדברי אותם גורמים, להיכנס קרקעית לעזה זו לא מטרה, אלא אמצעי כדי להחזיר את השקט לתקופה ממושכת. הבוקר פגעה הרקטה במכלית סמוך לתחנת דלק באשדוד. אדם נכה שלא הספיק לתפוס מחסה נפצע קשה. כתבתנו עמית תומר שמע את גיסתו. כל יום שישי הוא יוצא אה, למלא דלק באוטו באותה תחנה קבועה. רחל אחותי אמרה לו, אילן, לא כדאי היום, אני יודעת אה, שלא תהיה בסכנה. ו... אז הוא אמר, עזבי, תפסיקי להכניס לי לראש. עוד בחדשות, חייל בשירות קבע נהרג בהתהפכות רכב צבאי, כתבנו ענבל תמיר. במהלך נסיעה התהפך הג'יפ הצבאי ונוסעיו נפגעו, כוחות שהגיעו למקום נאלצו לקבוע את מותו של החייל בשירות קבע. שני חיילים נוספים נפצעו באירוע, אחד בינוני עד קשה והשני קל, השניים פונו להמשך טיפול רפואי בבית החולים בלינסון. נסיבות המקרה נבדקות. הוארך מעצרו של עורך הדין רונאל פישר, החשוד בתיווך במתן שוחד מגורמים עברייניים לקציני משטרה בכירים. כתבתנו תמר ירושלמי. מעצרו של פישר הוארך בחמישה ימים, למרות שבקשת מח"ש הייתה לעוצרו לעשרה ימים נוספים. בדיון הוא תקף את מח"ש ואמר, אני מבין שיש לי אויבים אין סוף ובצדק, ניצחתי בכמה תיקים ויש חוקר במח"ש שיש לי קרב דמים איתו, אם המטרה היא שאתמודד עד סוף חיי עם כל האויבים הללו שמנצלים את המצב. אז עשרה ימים לא מספיקים וצריך יותר. מזג האוויר, הכבדה בעומס החום, אלה החדשות שערכה חן פישר, בצוות הודיה קוסלובסקי ואבי כהן. Dreaming, dreaming, days gone by And I know you said that all I need is an honest try 
In on his tribal in the dark of night in the lonely heights you give me the strength to keep up the fight but I can't move on I can't live life without you Sometimes life's like an ocean Sweet is quiet as blue Sometimes life's like an ocean Sailing with you Sometimes life's like an ocean Raging like a fool Sometimes life's like an ocean When it's drowning in you Rivers have come to surround me Don't cool me and bring me down Rivers have come to surround me Without you by my side
J.M. in the A.M. Yaakov Shweki Kamu Vaneha from the Kolot CD. Friday morning, Shwebel Shar from Levine before that with Achash Chowalti. Eighth day had the uh, By My Side selection that opened up the hour after our news from Israel. 20 minutes after 7 o'clock, uh, a little uh, later on this hour, Malcolm Honline talk about the events of this week and discuss the uh, the defense of our brothers and sisters in Israel against the uh, hundreds of rockets that are falling. Kalakavod to those who've uh, been outspoken on the attacks that Israel is um, undergoing, including members of government here in this country, who have, uh, many of whom have really stepped up and have called for uh, funding to stop to the PA, have called for the PA to uh, cut off all ties from Hamas, um, we'll discuss all of that coming up. Malcolm Holmline will join us. Uh, 8.15 this morning, I'll be Rabbi Yudin with the Torah portion of the week. 9 o'clock, the week will wrap up for us here at JM in the AM. Uh, our network will continue all day long. Tune in to jmtheam.org. You'll hear a uh, phenomenal show from Naomi Nachman between 9 and 10 this morning, right after JM in the AM, then an amazing Erev Shabbos music mix that'll go all the way till candle lighting time. If you're traveling on this Erev Shabbos, make sure you have the NSN app installed on your phone so you could just uh, tune in and to really get into a uh, Shabbos mood with what we provide every single Friday at jmandtheam.org. More coming up. Keep it here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world in the web, jmandtheam.org.
company with that Birchas Habanim here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 810 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas. Shavasar Batamo is the big fast day coming up Tuesday. Friday morning, JM in the AM. My thanks to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend to their readers our uh, live stream at jmandam.org. If you want to see zillions of articles regarding what's going on in this crazy world of ours, especially from the perspective of the Jewish world and Israel, check out jewishworldreview.com. You'll be glad you did. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. A rough week in Israel, we know. The barrage of rockets continues. Uh, I'm not going to ask you for predictions because who knows how long it will last, although we pray, of course, that our brothers and sisters are out of this danger as soon as possible. How did it escalate to get to this point, Malcolm, to the point where the enemy is now firing hundreds of rockets, where Iron Dome is intercepting the majority of them, thank God, and where the Israeli government is seriously considering a ground invasion at this point? Well, it was a natural buildup uh, over many years, um, especially before the current regime in Egypt came into place. With, which has closed, I don't know, more than a thousand tunnels. And the, during the Morsi year, especially, the buildup was uh, escalated considerably and accelerated. And the the weapons that came from Iran, from Syria, clearly these these missiles, the M three two twenty, the uh, from Libya, and they came through various circuitous routes. And if you remember the ship that was intercepted a few months ago, where some of these advanced missiles, about 40 of them, were on that ship coming from Iran, the Iraq, through, was ultimately to go to the Sudan and from the Sudan to the Sinai and Gaza. So this has been an accumulation over time. They also have uh, developed the capacity to manufacture their own missiles, and they're more crude, but they manufacture them in uh, in Gaza itself. You also have a competition between Hamas and Islamic Jihad primarily, but also perhaps Fatah today. Uh, this has to do with the competition for credibility on the street. This has to do with the fact that Hamas is, is virtually bankrupt or is bankrupt. They thought that the marriage with Fatah would create a, a pool of cash that would pay off there are 40,000 employees in Gaza, which did not happen. There are so many factors that contribute to bringing us to the situa- situation we are today. I-, I believe, though, that we haven't proved that, um, that Iran is also stimulating this at this time because we're coming to the July 20th deadline for the talks. Right. which do not appear to be moving very quickly. When you say stimulating, do you mean funding as well? I, I do mean funding as well, certainly for Islamic Jihad, which is their primary outlet of when, <coughs> as they got angry at the Hamas for not backing Assad in the war in Syria. You know, they sort of broke with them. Qatar has been the major funder, uh, and usually when they're under fire and they're standing up against Israel and, and doing this kind of thing, that they, they receive the aid. But it seems that they've made a decision to go all in on this uh, in this war. It, it defies uh, rationality. They escal- uh, They have uh, uh, added to the demands 
that uh, more prisoners be released and other things that they want from Israel for a, a ceasefire. The, the, not that our brothers and sisters would feel the difference, frankly, but in terms of days this week, I mean, today, for instance, today, Friday, you're observing what's going on. Is it any less than, than previous days this week? Is it worse? I mean, how, how would you evaluate the, the, the direction that this is going in in terms of volume of rockets that's coming from Gaza? I would say that it's uh, sustained at a very high level. Uh, those who have the red app, uh, red alert app, can follow the uh, the progression of uh, rockets of how where they hit, how they hit. Uh, again, there were several fired at uh, at the Tel Aviv area, and were intercepted uh, also over Ashkelon, uh, intercepted by uh, the Iron Dome, which means that they potentially could have been a, a hit a, a uh, civilian population. This is one of the big differences that Iron Dome has diminished the impact and, and obviously what the ultimate goal, which is to kill Israelis and wound Israelis and do damage. Last night, there was an escalation. In number one, there was an, an incident across the Gaza border, and an Israeli soldier is badly wounded, and they have asked for uh, to be loaded for, uh, uh, for him. Uh, th- there was also a hit on a gas tank at a gas station, uh, which did cause uh, uh, cause damage and uh, and um, hurt somebody badly. Uh, so there are, I would say it's it's escalating that you have the first real victims, uh, right. victims, but the damage has been done all along. There have been uh, incidents uh, that that have been, uh, and there were missiles at Beersheba. Um, and the soldier's name, by the way, is Mordechai Chai Ben Bracha Yehudit. He comes from uh, from Itamar, and he was uh, quite badly hurt. And we don't even want to start to imagine what would be going on without Iron Dome. That's that's exactly the point, right? And they, they, there are a couple other differences. One is, and it sort of diminished since uh, we started saying it, uh, is that Syria is so tied up with its own internal problems that it is not engaged. Iran has its own issues, so it's not directly engaged. Hezbollah was not engaged, although two missiles were fired from Lebanon during the night. We don't know if that was rogue operation, What who, who was behind it. Israelis have indicated that they are not. They did not yet make any accusations. But the axis of resistance, if you remember, that we used to talk about, it doesn't exist today. And one of the complaints that the Palestinians, especially Gazans, uh, are uh, stating all the time is that the Arab world, including the Arab press, just doesn't give a damn about him. For the first time, the Egyptians today have expressed uh, concern and, and uh, been critical. But aside from pro forma statements, you're not getting the high level of response that you, you uh, often get. We also see that, the, and people don't know, that Hamas has been digging tunnels into Israel. There was one that went one mile into Israel with electricity. It was one mile long went into Israel. Uh, it, they have taken out a number of tunnels. They've discovered new ones. This, these were meant to bring significant numbers of soldiers in to, to, to do kidnappings or killings. You know that they try to infiltrate from the sea, and they were caught. There were two infiltrations from the sea. Uh, both times they were caught. The report about a lot was, was not true, that they were coming through there. So you have a different set of circumstances uh, we also see the international community, again, supporting Israel, but the erosion is beginning. We're beginning right. to see the calls 
you know, restraint, the calls to to stop a hundred. The, the Palestinians assert a hundred dead, um, but nobody knows what the what the true number is. The uh, it's difficult for me to remember each time how much he did or did not say. Uh, before, uh, you know, uh, different responses. But the Prime Minister of Israel has openly, um, I don't know if you want to say warned or threatened or discussed the possibility of a ground invasion, of finishing this operation, you know, in a proper fashion, might get worse before it gets better. It, it seems to me like he's saying a little too much. And we often, you and I, speak about how sometimes it's better, you know, not to reveal too much information or or speak much from his office. Is it, is it just now that it's, you know, 2014 and this information, you know, is being demanded more than ever by the media and that he has to say something regarding what's going on? Or is, or is he using the media to actually threaten the other side and remind them what could happen if they don't uh, if they don't stop letting up if they don't start letting up uh, I think that if you go back you'll find that uh, there were similar statements at similar timing there was also a build-up with 10,000 soldiers or more who came who were called in and were quite upset afterwards that they were not utilized active them. duty when they were stuck on the border for uh, an extended period of time right we have a call up now uh, soldiers are being sent to the north uh, reserves so that they can release the active duty soldiers to come south. And I don't think that this is a bluff on Israel's part. I think that they are seriously looking at the option. It is not an easy option. I know people tell me, and I'm sure they tell you, why doesn't Israel just go in and obliterate it? Why don't they just, uh, you know, send in the troops? Because we recognize that because so much of this is built underground and so much of this is built in other, you know, um, in ways that are, are very hard to access from the from the sky, that only by going in and, and rooting out the rest of the infrastructure uh, can this be complete. But you have to remember that they have had uh, a couple years to build infrastructure, to set traps that the yeah, headquarters and, and a lot of the facilities are underground, and uh, they know the map. Israel doesn't. Israel has good intelligence and remarkable intelligence, even. Uh, but they, and and that's how they're able to target these single buildings. And uh, they give warnings. You know, they phone call. They place a phone call to the families to tell them to get out. Right. But what the Palestinians now are doing is putting people on the roofs. And you can be certain that on a ground invasion, they may do the same because they don't care about civilian, they want the casualty numbers to go up, they don't care about the civilian population. I mean, there's audio of Arab leaders actually saying this, that <laughs> people should stay put. And they should, telling them to go to the roof, yeah. even after the families in the houses have evacuated. Um, and, uh, and I think until uh, Hamas runs out of missiles, and Islamic Jihad run out of missiles, I mean, they're competing, who can shoot further, who can shoot faster, the fact that they can go to Tel Aviv, to go to Yerushalayim, can go to Haifa more than once, to Zichron Yaakov, even last night mm-hmm. again, uh, and fire, I don't know, 185 rockets in a 24-hour period, not the last, but the, right. yesterday. Um, it, you know, it tells you that the, of the infrastructure they built in, they complain they don't have food for the people, but they seem to have a lot of money to pay for all of these missiles. And in the meantime, Israel continues to supply them with the electricity and with other fundamentals. Some people have criticized it. It, it becomes well, a question of international law. 
Oh, is that what it is? In other words, if you if you'd make that suggestion to the prime minister, he would bring that up because it seems like such a you know more peaceful strategy that water and electricity just not be provided to the area. Right. It's it's collective punishment. It's, right. uh, it comes there. It, uh, it, uh, yesterday we were told this that uh, it's a matter of international law. Right. And Israel as a law-abiding country, etc. That's right. Um, and and you also have to look at the somebody who has a chance to look at the maps that have been produced, and I think the IDF has it on their sites, but the, um, I think called Israel Under Fire, how many seconds people have from zero to 100, which is the maximum in the most distant areas in the south, you know, near Eilat, et cetera, but that most people will have between zero and 30 seconds. It's not a long time. If your children are out playing and you know that they have 15 seconds to get to a safe place, it's it's a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And I know people raise questions always about these things, and I tell you, you don't know what it's like and that they have to constantly look wherever they are as to where the nearest facility is, the nearest place is for them to, to run to. Um, People in Tel Aviv generally, I think, ignore it, or even if they don't ignore it, you know, life in Tel Aviv went on because they've been, they feel so confident in Iron Dome. I think the same is largely true in Yerushalayim in the south. That isn't true. And, and they have to, uh, you have a million people, a million and a half people living under this constant threat. And today, more than 40% of Israel's population is in range. Do you have any recollection as to when the first time Iron Dome was used? How many years ago? Any idea what uh, how long Israel's had it at, at its disposal? Well, first of all, Iron Dome has been... Uh, it was used in the last war two years ago. Uh, Iron Dome has been uh, improved greatly. Also, you have more batteries. Not enough, but they have more batteries. And this is, of course, funded by the U.S. and, and Congress deserves a lot of credit for yep. restoring the funding and the administration for putting in funding uh, for it. This is such a lifesaver. It, it's almost unbelievable... You know, to to think about how, what what would have been did, if they hadn't had uh, this. Number one, I mean, they probably would have had to go in right away. But the the number of casualties of civilian casualties in the places where Iron uh. Dome has been operating is, is mind boggling. Yeah, this Iron Dome is a great complement to the ultimate Iron Dome. That's for sure. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Uh, up in Rockland County, 91.9 on the FM dial. Yeah, if, if the, if the uh, uh, drama was lost on anybody, the ultimate Iron Dome, of course, is the one above. But I hope most and people... you've got to believe that he's responsible for this incredible thing. He's giving us a signal. No question. what I'm providing for you for, to protect you. Malcolm, unlike last time, there's no reason for Egypt to get involved in some type of ceasefire or, uh, or some type of uh, you know, a, a brokered deal. Uh, with Hamas, uh, unlike last time, Egypt has no interest in getting involved? No, I think it, Egypt, uh, remember, Egypt's relationship with Hamas is very bad right. under the generals. Under Morsi, obviously, they had a common cause, and he aided and abetted them. Um, but Egypt is being talked to. Egypt is, has been making statements. Does uh, Egypt love the fact that Israel's responding this way to Hamas? Well, of course, they want to see Hamas degraded as much as possible. Mm. Um but Sisi, uh, I know, is, is being said that he's uh, torn um, between 
the Palestinians and Hamas and, and what he wants to see happen there in his fight against the Muslim Brotherhood, with which Hamas is, uh, is affiliated. But there have been statements from different people um, indicating and putting more pressure on in the role to, for Egypt to help uh, stop. Remember, Egypt closed the access routes to, to Gaza now. They closed the tunnels. They have been impounding anything going into Gaza. Israel continues to supply things during this time into Gaza, and I would say has been less harsh than perhaps the uh, the Egyptians have been. So Egypt is in a the CC is in a in a little bit of a difficult situation here. I'm sure that some of the international pressure uh, will build for him to to play a role. But President Obama has offered to. Uh, to play this role. What do you think that conversation was like? In the last 24 hours, the Prime Minister of Israel and the President of the U.S. spoke. Um, pleasant. I think that it was, uh, you know, a serious conversation that the President expressed support for Israel's right to do what it has to, that the United States will stand by Israel. Uh, remember, the relationship with the United States is important if they ever need resupply of things. If right. They need, uh, uh, you know, as this thing drags on, uh, and of course for political support, when as is inevitable, it gets to the United Nations, and we should talk about how how I think Abbas uh, is setting the stage for it. That's why he uses terms like genocide and war crimes because he's trying to set the stage, but he doesn't realize that he could well be the one in the docket because he's a partner with the real war criminal, which is Hamas, which suits from amongst the civilian population, against the civilian population, two clear violations. Defending your country against rockets is not a violation. It is not a war crime. So he better be careful, more careful with what he's saying. Has he... I'm sorry, but I wanted to just sure. go back that um, uh, some of the people, media in Egypt, have called for them to, uh, to play more of a role. Uh, and so I think you might look to it. On terms of the president, after he made those references... To Israel support, he also called then for restraint and for calm and for uh, both sides to, to exercise, you know, caution, etc. So I don't know how the end of the conversation went. The beginning looked good. You know, it's interesting because uh, some people some people might be shocked to hear me say this, but uh, you know, they 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 are partners, so to speak, in the most important aspect of Israel's defense right now, and that's of course Iron Dome. So to to think that the United States doesn't have some type of input or a right to some type of input in this whole situation might be a little far-fetched. America, you know, Israel and America's relationship is very intricate. No matter what the personal relationships are, the fundamentals are very strong. The, the mutual interests are very strong. It's in America's interest that Israel defeat Hamas. Hamas's main target is still the, the big Satan, which is the United States. And the people backing them are the same ones backing the other terrorist entities which threaten the U.S., threaten our interests, threaten our allies. So America's and Israel's interests certainly coincide. Uh, and right now the international community still has been sustained. But I think Netanyahu looks at this and, and recognizes that the international community seems to have a high tolerance for short wars. Even if you kill many people in a short time, and Israel has not, um, if you look at the number of strikes, and as uh, one commentator said, either their pilots are blind and can't find the targets, 
that only 100 people, they claim 100, have been killed uh, in, in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sorties means that they are doing it so pinpoint, so targeted, as to avoid uh, civilian cash, so as to avoid civilian casualties. Right, yeah, well, they're experts at that, thank God. Um, how long will it last? I know predictions are not something we usually quiz you with, but the, there's a possibility. You know, it, that people don't even want to know that as much as people want to know if it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. Is it going to be much more difficult for our brothers and sisters in Israel before it starts getting better, especially if they're going to follow the formula that you just mentioned uh, of recent times, of it being a relatively short period of time, these uh, actions? It depends on, on where the, the parties find their interest. And I don't mean Israel. I'm talking about the PA, uh, <coughs> sorry, and uh, Hamas. Uh, as I said before, we're coming to the next week to the deadline on the Iran talks. They may well want to have a diversion. They may well want to have, uh, you know, escalation of violence. Uh, so as uh, to tie up Israel, that it can't focus on um, um, what what is going on. And you have so many things that could cause a, a, an immediate shift. For instance, you know, there were rockets fired towards Dimona at the uh, nuclear uh, power plant there. All right, I'm going to ask you about that. That is a special uh, crime, and that is a unique nature, that this is an act of nuclear terrorism. Uh, against an Israeli city, and this is would be considered an unconventional attack. Uh, so that kind of incident, if they had succeeded, if something had happened in that regard, that will change everything. The, if Hezbollah decides, or the, the northern border gets gets uh, heated up, uh, the. Uh, and, and the lessons they learned from uh, the Lebanon War is just sustain it, and if you survive, you can declare victory just by that. And you can go before the Arab world and you say, you see, we stood up against the Israeli forces. They could bomb us constantly for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and, and uh, we survived. And if they can get more weapons, it, uh, it just enhances that uh, that capacity or that the, the the bragging rights that they could have, so there are many things that could, uh, including international pressure, including uh, uh, Israel, the, the internal pressures from within Israel, to uh, to direct how long this lasts and and what the next steps will be. It's interesting you mentioned Demona. Uh, they also have made major threats against the airport, uh, the main international airport. In Israel, um, with that in mind, because some people, some of us know the geography in terms of the distance, uh, some people have speculated that the the better rockets, if you will, <laughs> the more potent rockets, are used early on, and that you know days from now they won't have the same type of arsenal, which of course would reduce the opportunity to aim at a place, God forbid, like the airport. Uh, is is that true? Is there any reason to speculate that that might be true? That they're using their best weapons up front. Well, they have a limited number, so you could say that they're using them up front. They're using them sparingly. They integrate them within a pattern of, of different kinds of rockets that are, are being shot, and they have essentially four kinds. The most common are the Grad, which have a range of about, um, I don't know, 45, 50 kilometers. Then you have the Qasem rockets, which have 18 kilometers. Those are used against the areas just adjacent to Gaza. Then the M75, which have... 
75 kilometer range, which means that they go towards Beersheba and uh, even to, to southern areas of Tel Aviv. And then you have the long range ones, which are used against Haifa and Jerusalem, the M302s, which said, told you was a Syrian. They have a range that's been demonstrated of 160 kilometers. And they, it depends on the target. The fact that they're shooting at Jerusalem is to me shocking. Taking the risk that they would hit Al-Aqsa or some other uh, site holy to them uh, was always considered uh, a red line that they wouldn't uh, that they wouldn't cross, and yet they're willing to take that chance. They have fired repeatedly, and yesterday one was taken out over over central Jerusalem. Uh, they were taken out over the Knesset, the not uh, far distance, and especially when you don't have these good guidance systems that they can directly target where it will reach. This is really surprising to me that they would they would take this chance. Uh, the um, the call up of the reserves, uh, what that does to the country is uh, indescribable for, to those who uh, have never seen it up close. I mean, every family in Israel practically is uh, in some type of uh, either turmoil or you know completely off their regular routine, so to speak. Uh, and we know on many different levels, from you know from the most mundane things to the uh, uh, to the most serious aspects of this, which is, of course, people putting their lives in danger, uh, the entire country's upside down at this point. Look, it's very disruptive when people are called up from work, especially thousands at a time, uh, or 10,000, 15,000. This is a big part of a certain age group in Israel. Uh, what is remarkable is that the Israeli stock market was going up still yesterday, went up. <laughs> Why? I'm not sure, but I think it's a sign of the confidence that people have in Israel and uh, I think Iron Dome and other things, the fact that you haven't had civilian casualties, you've had limited damage. Uh, Last night you had more, and the first real uh, significant uh, explosion at the gas station and the, you know, you had a car that overturned that killed an Israeli soldier, but that was not directly a result of fire. Uh, So life does get disrupted. The economy seems to be okay. I hope tourism will remain okay. We're taking a group on Sunday. We're going with a solidarity mission. And uh, a couple dozen people already signed up for it to go for a day and a half, two days to Israel to show the people that they're not alone. We did it in past wars. I think it's, it's a psychological boost. It's an economic boost. It tells them they're not isolated. It, it, it sends a, such an important message. And others who have the opportunity in a couple weeks or have trips planned, I can't tell you what to do. All I can tell you is what we're doing. And I think you got to think about the, the obligation to show the people of Israel at this critical time that they are not alone and that the, the people canceling visits, which I understand, but I think... Uh, Just realize it has a major impact. It has a we're major not telling impact. anybody what to do, and, but and it has a major impact. the receiving end. If, if, God forbid, there were incidents here and people would say, well, we're not going to visit there anymore. Right. Uh, a lot of us have kids in Israel this summer. Uh, kudos to the to all the programs that are taking all the precautions necessary, are evaluating things on a regular basis, and I mean by the hour, I don't mean by the day, uh, to make sure that everybody is safe and doing what needs to be done and uh, and are going ahead with the plans and, again, doing so in a responsible fashion. And uh, anybody out there who, uh, again, Malcolm nor myself, nobody, nobody else is telling anybody what to do, but uh, there have been... And it may be a generational thing, Malcolm, uh, you know, because years ago we know that, you know, there have been mass exoduses from Israel during situations like this. We have not 
seen that and doesn't look like we're heading toward that. It may be that uh, that the that the spirit that has brought so many young people to the land that has encouraged them to uh, join the army and show that you know show not just solidarity but uh, you know ready to act on behalf of Israel's future. Uh, it could be that that whole spirit is just permeating this generation. Everyone's willing to to stick it out, to stick it out, and uh, and to be with their brothers and sisters as long as they can. I, I think that's true, and I, I think it's a tribute to everybody who does and who continues to go. I know that flights are still full, and and people point to the ads where they said that you know people can change their tickets. I think that was an important gesture, but you have to remember that a lot of other people are booking tickets then, so the flights are not going empty because of it. Uh, they may have different people than originally intended, but I think the the um, you know the the fact that Iron Dome and the cities have remained relatively safe. Last night, people tell me the streets and the bars and everything in Tel Aviv was full um, because people have confidence in it, and and hopefully that will be justified ongoing. We should mention, of course, uh, a lot of people in this audience know that I was critical of certain. Uh, government officials uh, in this country uh, um, a few weeks ago. We should acknowledge that many people um, in the in the world of government have stood beside Israel uh, during this time. Members of the United States Senate, the United States House of Representatives. I know we expect them, especially Congress, to stand by Israel, but some of them really come out with very strong statements that the White House themselves may not, you know, come out with statements as strong as that. So we acknowledge those that have been out there at the forefront, uh, leading other members of the United States Congress uh, with strong statements on behalf of Israel. And everybody in the audience has to contact their elected officials at every level and say, please send me a copy of your statement supporting Israel at this difficult time. Don't just ask for a statement. Tell them you want a copy of it. You want to see it. We want every one of them to be out there. And and there should be local uh, um, gatherings as big as as wide as possible, bringing different tools together to say to heal him for the people and for the soldiers that we have to show our support. Invite elected officials to be there and make them go on record and publish what they say. It's not enough for them, you know, later on to shed crocodile tears. I want to see them out there, out front now. You know, we've had some disturbing statements during the week. We've had, by and large, from Congress, uh, very strong support, but also too much silence. And I think it's imperative that people um, force the public officials, or encourage public officials, to take a stand to get out there and speak out. Did you say silence or near silence? Did you say silence? Some silence. Or near silence? It seems to be a, it seems to be a sensitive point in the New York Times, whether it's silence or near silence on an issue. Uh, by the way, kudos to kudos to those who wrote to the Times and and were outraged by the editorial about Benjamin Netanyahu and whether he did or did not react uh, in regard to the uh, murder of the uh, Arab boy. Um, you know that they it may be a subtle correction, but Malcolm, you'd encourage people to keep uh, correcting those subtle corrections. They will. That right. There are corrections. They've had many many mistakes, and so has the rest of the media and some of the coverage. You know, just reporting on Israel's actions without. And, and as a you know closing line in the closing sentence, they say, oh, and, and Hamas fired some rockets at Israel without det- telling the truth about these uh, rockets with big payloads coming across that will kill, murder, damage, and they, they play it down, and the focus is only on, on Israel, and they tell all these psalm stories about what the other side going through without, how come they don't tell about all the people still coming to Israel to be treated medically? about the medicines that Israel sends in to, to the Gaza Strip. 
the rest of our world doesn't care, but Israel sustains its obligations and its responsibilities even at this time, and that uh, the the story of of operations and things that were being done for uh, Palestinian children from Gaza just in the last few days. I, I assume that the border crossings now are, are are closed, and it's probably too difficult. But uh, up until now, it's been going on. Malcolm, do you know how much ingenuity? Is being lost because so much manpower has to be used because of situations like this. You know what? What on top of what already has been coming out of Israel? Could you imagine what would be coming out of Israel if there were peaceful times and the neighbors were not as difficult to live with as they are today? Look, I think Israel has uh, the startup nation is a is a revolution, and then a lot of the incentive about destroying the economy, bringing it to a standstill that they can't ex- couldn't export oranges today. Israel continues, and you're right, they, they, there were attempts at first to, to hit the airport, but that, I think, is being dealt with very creatively, and Iron Dome is covering uh, the airport. Uh, so I think the flights are continuing. People, are, I've spoken to many people, flew in and out without any problem. Um, I'm sure some airlines from Europe and others will, will may deter some flights or defer them, but all the more reason why we should be going and showing and that we're not afraid and we're, we, we stand with the people of Israel uh, now. And you're right. Think of the price that they're paying. Think of the people who couldn't go to work, the children who couldn't, the summer camps that had to close in the south, the colleges, the students who couldn't go to school because this, and, and yeshivot that couldn't learn or were moved to other places and uh, all of the dislocation that, that associates with this and people upsetting their families North, so as to take them more out of uh, out of the immediate risk of of being near the border. Yeah, it's uh, certainly creates a lot of difficult circumstances. Finally, I guess this would have been one of our headlines, if not for uh, all the other things we have to speak about this morning. Um, has this week at all changed the attitude of uh, Avigdor Lieberman toward uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu? Uh, he uh, he threatened or actually did leave the coalition uh, earlier in the week. Any change in that uh, situation? None for the better that I can see. Um, the the uh, tensions uh, continue within the cabinet, and it's a time when we really need unity within. Uh, or the I know that he invited, Netanyahu invited other parties to come and associate with the government, be part of the government. I hope that they can put aside the partisanship because not only do we face this issue, and as intense and dangerous as it is, you face the deadline next week in the negotiations, which will require a united Israeli front. Yeah. You have the... Uh, we don't need new elections now. Last thing in the world to be... To be uh, but usually that's how new elections occur, with a move like this. They, they have times exactly, but I don't think that's not going to happen right now. You have the ISIS continuing. Look at what they, the disruptions in Iraq and what they're doing, what's happening in Syria, and the uh, um, Assad's uh, 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 seemingly recovery of parts of Damascus and, and Aleppo and other areas. The uh, the strong stand that Khomeini took about talking about 190,000 centrifuges, which never ever was even a question. The West was talking about 500 to 1,000 initially. Maybe they're talking about 1,500. They have 10,000 operating now with 19,000 in place. So either he made a mistake with a zero or he's got some wild scheme that uh, and numbers that he's putting out there, which don't make any sense. Uh, but we're coming to, to uh, an, 
important deadline. We may just have an extension. I understand that the gaps are very wide. It doesn't mean they won't uh, close them. The foreign ministers, including Kerry, are going there uh, this weekend for the negotiations. When you look at what's happening in Iraq with the um, ISIS, they just they captured this week the chemical weapons, the massive chemical weapons and uh, storage facility, manufacturing facility, which had 2,500 rockets with deadly uh, sarin nerve gas uh, uh, warheads. Uh, they are aged. They are, we don't even know if they're usable, but they're dangerous no matter what because you have a lot of chemical war, uh, weapons agents there that fall, fall in the hands of the ISIS who can then transport them or utilize them. Uh, so that's something you got to think about. And, and the, uh, there are many issues now, and you have an election in Turkey coming up. We have so many challenges and issues that, have long-term implications at this time that Israel, having to fight this war, needs also to be able to focus at the same time yeah. on these other strategic interests, including what's happening to King Abdullah of Jordan, what happens along its northern borders. We pray for the safety of our brothers and sisters in Israel. We encourage everybody to continue to support all the efforts financially and otherwise, and of course spiritually, to uh, keep our brothers and sisters in mind and help whenever possible. Uh, future of the Jewish people is, of course, in the state of Israel. Nothing has happened this week to deter us from that. Uh, Malcolm Holmline, uh, next week, I assume, oh, you'll, you'll let us know if we can reconvene next week, right? You may have a, uh, right. a conflict. We'll figure it out during the week. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm has a major meeting next week in Washington that might affect his ability to join us uh, at the regular time. We'll figure it out, and obviously we'll give everybody advanced warning about uh, wh when and if our conversation will take place uh, uh, for uh, Friday morning. Next, Erev Shabbos. J.M. and the A.M. at 25 minutes after 8 o'clock, this time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Pinchas. According to the Chinuch, Parshas Pinchas contains six positive mitzvos, including the mitzvah and the laws of inheritance, many of the korbanos, musaf, and the mitzvah of blowing shofar on Rosh Hashanah. I'd like to focus, however, on the very beginning of the Parsha, which gives the Parsha its name. And in reality, to appreciate what's going on at the very beginning of the Parsha, we need to be reminded as to what occurred at the very end of last week's Parsha's Bullock. When Bilam was unsuccessful in cursing the Jewish people, he was successful, unfortunately, in advising Bullock, the king of Moab, how he can unfortunately um, overcome the Jewish people by whispering in his ear the secret that the God of Israel despises immorality and therefore urged Moab to entice the Jewish men into conducting themselves in an immoral way with the daughters of Moab and so it happened and it reached the point that 
a prince, the head of the tribe of Shimon, was actually involved in an act of immorality with the daughter of a king of um, Midian. And Pinchas, seeing this, comes and takes action in his hand. As we're told at the end of Parshas Bolak, he takes a spear, kills the two of them who are participating in this public disgrace of immorality and the plague which had consumed 24,000 people stopped. This week's parsha begins by God lauding Pinchas for his act of zealotry and praising him by saying God is giving to him Brisi Shalom, his covenant of peace, and he and his children after him will be Kohanim. Now lest you ask the obvious question, what do you mean God is granting him kahuna? Who was his father? None other than Elazar HaKohen. Who's his grandfather? Aaron HaKohen. So why wasn't Pinchas naturally a Kohen if his father and grandfather were? So interestingly, he was born according to Rashi, too soon. Namely, that when God gave Moshe the command to anoint Aaron and his sons, basically, from that time on, Aaron, his sons, and their future children would be Kohanim. Pinchas just missed it by having been born prior to that. And so he would not have been a Kohen were it not for his act of bravery and his act of devotion and dedication to God. Not only does he become a Kohen, but the line of Kahuna Gedola, the high priests, come from Pinchas. Now, I'd like to point out and share with you a fascinating Gemara in Psachim 101b, whereby the Gemara asks what appears to be a rather strange question, and that is, tell me, when does Pinchas become a Kohen? So, at first glance, the answer is just like Rabbi Hanina teaches, It's not until the end of last week, this week's Parsha, that as a result of his killing Zimri, that is when God endows Pinchas with priesthood, with Kahuna. Fine. Citing from the verse that we mentioned earlier at the beginning of Parshas Pinchas, and it shall be for him and his offspring after him a covenant of eternal priesthood. 
Yet, listen carefully, Rav Ashi Omar. Rav Ashi says, excuse me, I have a different opinion. Achesam Shalom Bein HaShvatim. Do you want to know when it is that Pinchas became a Kohen? It was at a later time. When, when was this? It was 14 years later. Namely, as we find in the book of Yehoshua, in the book of Joshua, chapter 22. There we are told the following. As we will read next week in Pasha's Matos, two and a half tribes, Reuven Gud and half of Manasseh, take their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan, and on condition that they go and accompany and lead the Jewish people in fighting against the nations in Canaan, and they do, and then they go back, and what happens? They subsequently build an altar, a Mizbeach. The nine and a half tribes living in the land of Canaan say to themselves, Oh my goodness, how could it be that our brothers are building an altar and they will probably offer offerings to idolatry. The nine and a half tribes were ready to go and start literally a civil war and to attack the two and a half tribes. Before they go to war, they said, let us send a delegation, fact-finding and halavai, a peace delegation, and therefore one from each tribe, ten men go, and who heads this delegation? Pinchas. And what are we told? That the fact-finding mission is, oh no, their intent was not to offer sacrifices and certainly not to idolatry. It was to show their loyalty to the Jewish people. And what does it say over there? There, in chapter 22 of the book of Yoshua, Vayishma Pinchas HaKohen. Ah, then the Navi refers to Pinchas as a Kohen, and Tosos explains, as the Gemara goes on to explain over here as well, what about our Pasuk in this week's parsha? So the Gemara says, that is for a bracha. What does that mean? It means that God is ready to give him, and God approves of his action, and God is giving him priesthood, but he was not yet, points out Tosos, and if Tosos wouldn't say this, in, in Zvachim 101b, I certainly couldn't say it, but Tosfos says that according to Ravashi, Pinchas was not yet merutzolakol, he was not yet pleasing to the congregation, to the people. They didn't want somebody as their leader, who in their mind was a Jew with a spear. They didn't want someone as their poster child, and what is the ideal Jew that we should have our children in their bedrooms, whose picture should it be? Should it be the picture of somebody who is the fighter? That's what the leader of the Jewish people is. That's who our hero is. It was only when Pinchas showed that he's not only someone that, if need be, 
knows how to fight, but that he has the strong capacity to be a peacemaker, it's only when he had this mizug, when he had this proper balance between the two, then he became beloved to the people, then he became the Kohen, and then he became the father of future Kohanim Gedolim. Such a powerful lesson. We know there are many, many medicines that on the bottle it says, shake well before use. And the reason for this is so that you should have all the components together. It's not enough to have some of the components. You need all. You need this blend between, on the one hand, when to be aggressive, when to take that strong stand, and when to be that peacemaker. But I have to tell you, even in regard to being the zealot, even with regard to taking the law into your own hand, this is only done when when Pinchas has his Rebbe. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Pebez Amar Aleph, tells us, Vayar Pinchas, as we saw at the end of last week's parsha, Pinchas saw, what does it mean he saw? So the Gemara tells us, it means he understood. He comprehended. That's what it means. He had sized up the entire situation. And he goes to Moshe and he says, Moshe, did you not teach me when you came down from the mountain that Haboel Esakusis Kanoyim Pogimbo, that if one lives with a kusis, a non-Jewish woman, zealots may kill him. So Moshe said to him, wow, you are right? And not only that, basically, Pinchas was saying, Moshe, go do it. And therefore, go act upon it. And what does Moshe say to him? No, Kariyono di Igarta, the one who reads the letter, Ihu lehevi Parvanka. Let that one be the agent to carry out its instructions. Pinchas only does it when his Rebbe tells him to do it. God forbid a million times a Jew cannot take the law into his own hands. As well-meaning as they might be, God forbid you can't hurt, you can't kill somebody else, you can't take these kind of actions. This is not a Jewish response. This is not the way the Jew conducts himself. And this is what emerges from this parasha. And this is something that we have to have. You need, number one, this balance. You need, number two, a Rebbe. And because with Without a Rebbe, no good. And let's understand one more thing, which is so important. The Medrash tells us, and I read from the Tanchuma, that when Pinchas did what he did, so what did the people say about him? Take a look at this individual who's a descendant of whom? Of Yisro. They were referring to Parshas Vo'era. And there in chapter 7, in Parshas Vo'era, Pasuk 25, chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 6, Pasuk 25, what does it say there? That Elazar, 
Aaron's son marries Mibnos Putiel. And that's Yisro, explained the rabbis. And Putiel, from the term to fatten the calves for idolatry. Come on, look at, and, and whom does he uh, father? Elazar, who marries one of Yisro's daughters, fathers Pinchas. Ah, why does Pinchas, come on, kill Zimri and Kuzbi? Because after all, look at the stock that he comes from, the people of Shimon were saying. He comes from a Yisro, and therefore how precious can life be to the non-Jew? Comes along God in our Torah and says, oh no, you got it all wrong. It's Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKohen. I'm telling you, it's coming from the same man who's the disciple of the grandson of Aaron, the disciple of Aaron, he's the Oev Shalom, he's the Rodev Shalom, he's the lover of peace, and Oev Esabrios, he loves people, Umakarvam la Torah, and he wants to bring him to the Torah. This is who Pinchas is from. And once again, what the Torah is doing by identifying that grandfather as opposed to the other one, which where they were using as an accusation against him, is just this very delicate point. Each person is going to say regarding themselves, I've got it. I've got that person blend. I've got that person combination of tolerance and action, of zealotry and peacemaking. The answer is Adam Korov Liatsmo. Each person, unfortunately, is biased about themselves, and each person thinks that I can do it myself, and I know, and I, and I. And for that reason, once again, you need from the first chapter of Pirkei Avos, Asela Chorav. You need a teacher. You need one who can size up the situation better, and on your own, God forbid, you can't do this. Shabbat Shalom. To all.
Quarter before nine o'clock, Erev Shabbos, our thoughts, our hearts, our prayers with our brothers and sisters in Israel. Shabbos will start there in about three hours. Let's hope it's a very peaceful Shabbos for everybody. Kalakavod to those who continue to travel to the Holy Land. Uh, as Malcolm said earlier, we can only uh, tell people what we're doing. Our, our trip is still scheduled. We'll be there at the beginning of August, please God. Uh, hope everybody will follow suit and, uh, keep those trips on the calendar. A lot of people traveling this week, thank God. Seems to be a very positive attitude, at least in this area of the world, toward going to Israel and at this time understanding that there's no more important time to be there. Kudos to all the uh, Israel summer programs that are using, uh, Really, all their resources at this time uh, to um, stay on top of the situation, to do what's best for the safety and security of the kids who are in Israel, and are really doing their best to provide a fun, educational, and quality trip for everybody, uh, despite all the different uh, procedures and stuff that have to be undertaken, obviously, because of the situation, so... A lot of uh, extra work is being done by a lot of great people who are leading a whole bunch of wonderful kids by the thousands from this country and from other parts of the world. I call a kavod to all of them. 13 minutes before the hour, a reminder that uh, coming up at 9 o'clock, Naomi Nachman and a an encore edition of the uh, Table for Two program. An amazing day on our network all day long. You'll hear incredible Erev Shabbos selections all through the day on jmandtheam.org. Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami tomorrow night starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Matis presents JM Sunday starting at 7 o'clock in the morning on Sunday here at jmandtheam.org. 
Three weeks begin on Tuesday. Shavasarva Tammuz, the fast of the 17th of Tammuz is Tuesday. The three weeks begin on Tuesday. We'll drift into our three weeks format where we slow down the music. And um, we'll do some a cappella. And that'll take us through the middle part of this summer of 2014. J.M. in the A.M. Candle lighting at 8.10 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas. Here's Chaim David. Yeah. 
Yachad, together, Chaim David here at JM in the AM. Amazing. Uh, the togetherness that uh, the Jewish community feels unfortunate that uh, takes these types of situations to bring everybody together. But boy, so many different, so many different organizations and groups and um, synagogues and uh, families and individuals have really stepped up. In the last few days, and again, I've displayed uh, such care and concern for what's happening in the Holy Land. There are uh, efforts, you'll find them in social media, we'll discuss some of them here on the air, that are uh, out there in support of uh, the troops, members of the IDF, who are uh, doing uh, very difficult work these days. Uh, A lot of people in our audience continue to support those. Kolakavod to all of you. And uh, the travel to Israel, as uh, Malcolm Honline said earlier, uh, he nor I want to advise anybody what to do or not to do, but we do want to uh, we do want to say kudos to those who uh, are insisting on heading to Israel at this time. He is, of course, uh, going at the beginning of the week, as he mentioned, the beginning of next week, with a delegation simply for solidarity. And um, everybody out there who's able to take a deep breath and. Uh, and decide to keep their trip on their schedule, call like a vote to you. We know it's not easy, and we're not telling everybody what to do, but we certainly want to thank and uh, give proper accolades to those who want to be there physically with our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land. Time to say good Shabbos. Hopefully a very peaceful Shabbos for all. This is JM in the AM. Say 
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up another important week here at JM and the AM. Big hello to our friends up at Camp Hask and a big hello and a big, big, big show of support for our brothers and sisters in Israel as they uh, continue through this difficult week and we pray that they have a very, very peaceful Shabbos and weekend. Monday we're back starting at 6 a.m. Make sure to join us. I'll run me tomorrow night with Saturday Night Seagull. Mott this Sunday morning at 7 with the latest, including news and English from Israel between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on JM Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in at jmandtheam.org and on the brand new app, which seems to be one of the most popular things around. 
Uh, tomorrow, or I should say rather Monday, we're back starting at 6 a.m. Till then, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.